0: Hello, hello, leading woman in tech. Welcome back. It's November. How was your Halloween, if you celebrate Halloween? We didn't do anything around here. I'll admit that. Where I live, there's like literally only a few other houses, no children. (laughs) Nobody does Halloween here, so we're all very quiet. We didn't have anything going on. And actually, it's the first year in a long time we didn't do a pumpkin. Halloween sort of just crept up on me this year because I've had my head down launching Lit Up Leadership Academy. Doors have now shut. Oh my goodness me, I had such a blast though. I have done some life coaching for women. I've done lots of special episodes of things and videos and I've been having so much fun. But doors are shut. Heads down now inside the Academy. I have got 10 amazing women that I am going to be helping lit up their lives light up their careers and ensure that they thrive in what they're doing so I am so looking forward we're only a couple days in of course actually the point of recording this I'm recording it the day before (laughs) doors shut um and so I'm just so looking forward to getting into the nitty-gritty with these women and and changing their lives for the better so I didn't pay much attention to Halloween and I realized on Friday night that it was Halloween weekend and I thought I don't have a pumpkin and actually because I live in Scotland I don't have a turnip. Yes, because we carve turnips. I've personally never understood that. Um, Although I was born in Scotland, I grew up in England, and I've never actually carved a turnip. I always carved pumpkins. They're a lot easier. <laughs> I will say that. But strictly speaking, in Scotland, uh, you carve turnips. So if you're a Scot, I would love to know if you have a to turn turnip, wherever you are in the world, drop me a message on LinkedIn. Let me know. I have never done that. <laughs> anyway, so I've completely missed Halloween, but we are at the point of listening to this. Anyway, we are now into November, which means the air is rapidly ticking along. Um, and in fact, this week, I am giving a workshop to the amazing women of ACM SIGGRAPH on stopping understanding yourself and it seems very timely because this is normally the time of year where people are kind of dialing down you know the holiday is just around the corner and one of the things I've noticed that's different this year is there is still an awful lot of activity around promotion and recruitment there is still a massive dearth of talent and one of the things I'm going to be talking to these women about on Friday is one of the key things you need to do is realize Unless you want to, now is not the time to take your foot off the pedal. In fact, that's a sign of underselling yourself. And so actually, I thought a good topic to dive into today was one small nugget around underselling ourselves, because it's a huge topic, which is why I'm doing a whole workshop on it, and I can't cover all of that in a podcast, of course. Um, and I want to dig into one particular area, which I'll come to in just a minute. But before I do that, I want to have an, an honest discussion with you very briefly about negotiation and underselling. Because failing to negotiate our salaries is often something that people equate with underselling yourself. And uh, Yes, it's true. But what I want you to know is it doesn't start and stop there. It is a huge facet of everything we do. Underselling ourselves isn't just about the negotiation, it isn't just at the office stage, and actually the, this episode is understanding yourself at the office stage beyond just negotiation. But here's the thing, it happens in so many different aspects of the way we show up for everything we do. In fact, a lot of the work I do with all of my clients, both in the one-on-one services and in the list Up Academy, is around learning how to sell ourselves rather than undersell in every aspect of what we do, from our ideas, our insights, the way we stand up for ourselves in meetings, the way we advocate for our ideas, our team's ideas, where we think the business should go, even if we're not the CEO, it applies in every aspect of your job. Even asking for an assistant, even asking to hire someone to be your second or increase your headcount, it's all about selling yourself and recognizing that you deserve to sell yourself rather than undersell yourself. So I just want to put that up front and center. I'm now going to dig into one very small aspect, which is understanding ourselves at the job offer stage, because it's a topic that's been coming up a lot in the conversations I'm having. A lot of you are receiving offers right now, which is amazing. This is not about negotiation. If you want to learn more about negotiation, um, broadly speaking in terms of leadership, but also why failing to negotiate is so bad for our careers, go check out episode 44, which I will link in the show notes. So, today, though, I want to talk about something that I think most of us are less aware of underselling and, in fact, undervaluing ourselves beyond the negotiation at the offer. So, let's dig in. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. four things I'm going to dig into, but the first I see is when we undervalue ourselves by taking an offer we don't really want. Now, there are some legitimate reasons for taking an offer we don't really want, but more often than not, it's a symptom of undervaluing and therefore underselling ourselves. So here here are some of the reasons why you may well take a job offer you don't actually want. First of all, the job hunt is exhausting and you want it to be over. Sound familiar? (laughs) Uh, I know so many of us have fallen into the stage we just want it done we need a job for whatever reason maybe we're out of work maybe we just need to get out of a toxic situation maybe we just know that we need to move in fact that's the worst one when you take a job offer even though the only reason you actually started the job hunt was because you were ready for that next challenge if that's the case ask yourself that one why did you start this job hunt If your reason for doing that is I'm ready for the next challenge, not anything really negative you're trying to get away from, the last thing you should be doing is taking a job offer because you're just done with the job hunt. If that's the case, I want you to pause and give yourself some time off instead, right? Even though quite often once we start job hunting, we emotionally let go of the business, we're less engaged, and it becomes a bit more stressful potentially because you're like, I don't really want to be here anymore because you've emotionally decided you're going to move on. That doesn't mean you should move on to a less good position, something that isn't going to move you forwards. Another reason why we take offers when we're not actually wanting to is we've invested a lot of emotional energy in a particular round of interviews. I had a client who did this recently. I mean, she had like eight interviews two panels, presentation stuff right, and center. It was a lot of work. And she was, at the beginning, very, very emotionally invested in the business, what, they were, what their mission was, what they were trying to achieve. She really wanted it at the beginning. By the end of it, she was less clear, but she felt that she needed to take it to get the return on investment. So ask yourself, are you deciding to take an offer because you feel like you have to get that return? You put all this effort into it, and you need that back. Another reason we take a job offer we don't really want is when it's a step up in every sense, even though it doesn't make sense to you. So it may well be a technically a promotion. It may well be a better pay packet. It may well do all sorts of things for you. On paper, it looks perfect. But some part of you is saying no. And we can dig into why you might be saying no on some level but don't just take it because it makes sense on paper. If your brain, if your heart, whatever part of you is resisting this in some way, you've got to understand why because there's something else going on. Sometimes it's because there's a toxic environment that you're just sort of getting a hint at and you can't really articulate. Other times it might be a promotion, but actually part of the interview process has told you that is not the job you want. I've talked before about the subtle career segregation we get as women, where we're quite often subtly pushed into roles that we are good at, but aren't necessarily what we want. So ask yourself, is this what you want? Just because it looks like a step up doesn't mean it's what you want. If the answer is no, and your heart is saying, I don't really want this, listen to that. Another reason that we take jobs when we don't really want them is pressure from family. And it can be well-intentioned pressure. Sometimes it's more toxic pressure. But they want us to thrive. They want us to do well. So they are putting pressure on you, whether that's extended family, a spouse, a parent, a sibling, whatever it is. They, They mean well a lot of the time. Not always, I'll grant you that. But more often than not, they mean well. But that doesn't mean that you should be taking all of their advice. Again, a large part of what I do as a coach is helping my clients come to their own full understanding rather than what everybody else is telling them they should do. Make sure this comes from you, not pressure from other people. If it doesn't feel aligned, even though everybody else is telling you to do it, you don't have to do it. Another legitimate reason often, although not always, is you take the job because you need the money. This is actually less common than it often appears because There are a couple of issues going on here. There are legitimate times when I don't have enough money to pay the bills next month. That's fair enough. Like, absolutely, I totally understand that. If you just need to take a job, even if it's not the perfect one to pay the bills, I respect you and nobody else should tell you otherwise. But I also see a scarcity mindset thing going on here in that you actually do have money in the bank to pay the bills for three, six months, whatever that is. But your brain is telling you, if I don't take this one, will another one come along the way? And particularly right now, it's very common to feel that way because we're used to the job market slowing down for the holidays. For what it's worth, the market this year is not slowing down. (laughs) Many of my clients who are also hiring managers have head job wrecks open that have been open for months and months, and there's no sign of them getting tidied up before the holidays. They're all going into the holidays having headcount for this year hanging over them. I'm wondering how they're going to even start tackling next year's headcount projections, which are already in place. The holiday slowdown doesn't show signs of showing up this year. So if you're feeling that pressure because you're like, will that next offer come? Obviously, I don't hold a crystal ball for you and no for definite. But trust that there is a good chance it's going to come and that you've still got money in the bank. And therefore, if this doesn't feel aligned, you have a bit more time. One other thing I do know actually is that right now I've had people (laughs) turn down job offers and go back a month later, the job's still available and they're like picked up instantaneously. So that's a possibility. So here's the thing if this job doesn't excite you, fulfill some need in you to achieve more, go further put you on the path to what's next sometimes we want to take something that's strategic even if it's not really exciting to us because we know that in 12 months time we're going to do something more exciting but we need this skill first well they're always sounded to check that one you know hopefully if you've listened to this show before that i don't think we actually need to tick all the boxes as much as we tell ourselves we do but sometimes we do take things to be very strategic i'm totally down with that um and also if it doesn't develop you professionally You need to tick off all those four boxes, excitement, fulfillment to achieve more, go further, put you on the path to what's next, even if right now it's an amazing job as well, and develop you professionally. If you can't tick those four, unless you are absolutely out of money, I would advocate that you probably are saying yes to the job offer for the wrong reasons. Because if you actually value yourself, if you actually know you are capable of great things, you know you can find a job that's going to excite you, fulfill you, put you on the path to what's next, and provide development. So don't say yes unless you have no other choice. We all know it's hard to move quickly, so be patient and trust yourself. If necessary, take a bit of a break from the job hunt and come back in a couple of months. It's a marathon, not a sprint, especially for leadership roles. Okay, item number two for underselling yourself during the job offer stage famous to do your due diligence on the company. I was actually speaking to a lady just this week about this. Um, uh, she's had a number of bad experiences with toxic work culture and she's like, I don't understand. How am I supposed to figure out whether or not I'm going to be taking an offer from a toxic company? Well, here's the thing. There's no perfect way, but it starts with process. You know, I love a good process around here, right? And it can be exhausting, which is why we want to bail on this, because you just want this done. It's a lot like number one, you want this over, you've got the offer, which is why I've done this episode, because the point of getting the offer, you're just like, oh my goodness me, thank you, can I just take this and move on, get over this exhausting period of time that has been the interview stage and putting myself out there and all that. But you have to, you absolutely have to do your due diligence. They are going to be interviewing you, they already have if you've got the offer, checking references, speaking to previous colleagues, current colleagues, potentially even asking for samples of work depending on what stage of your career you're at. You need to do the same thing. So there are some top tips I recommend for doing this. First of all, make sure you get the chance to at least discuss this role with your intended skip boss, ideally skip skip boss. Unless your boss or skip boss is going to be the CEO, in which case you want to be talking to other C-level executives, that's probably been part of your interview process, to be honest. But you want to be able to speak to your skip boss. In fact, not being offered the chance to speak to your skip boss can be a red flag. Now, this can backfire. (laughs) I actually had a client in the last few days who was wanting to hire somebody. And this individual had said to my client, I'd like to speak to the CEO. Um, And so my client organized that interview and actually the CEO (laughs) wanted to not hire them. So actually what my client had to do was stand in her value that she knew the person she'd interviewed was the right person. Her CEO didn't, was trying to hire somebody for him, right? Like he didn't think this person was going to be a good fit because he has his own blinkers on. So just be aware that this can backfire, but it's very, very rare. And actually, if you've got a good boss, it really shouldn't backfire. Like what my client needed to do was, in her own value and actually if she wasn't able to do that that would should be a red flag to a candidate because you don't want to work for a boss who isn't able to advocate for the team and advocate for you as the person reporting to them right so make sure you speak to intended skip boss it can be a real eye-opener and if possible the skip skip boss ask multiple people about a typical day in the life at that job, so you should be doing this throughout the interviews anyway. When they give you the chance at the end of an interview to say, "Have you got any questions for us?" This is a great one to be asking for legitimate reasons. You want to know what goes on. Do you like the way they talk about their work? Do they seem excited? Now, obviously, some people are more excited about stuff and more enthusiastic about stuff than others. But do you get the idea? There's a genuine sense of enthusiasm and commitment or is it sort of all a bit fake sounding? Do they brag about long working hours and meeting deadlines and, you know, anything kind of red flaggy? Does anything come up in the casual way they discuss a day in the life of that company? Make sure you ask multiple people, including people who are going to be at your level, your peers. Then if you can, I would always advocate speaking with some people who have left the company. Now, LinkedIn is your friend here, you might only be able to do this by message. In general, a lot of people are fairly open to having a conversation, so find some people on LinkedIn who used to work at the company, message them, and ask if you can have a quick chat about working there. Now, be aware, of course, that their opinions may well be biased, but this is the fastest way to check for toxic culture. If your potential new boss is new to the company, then you might also want to speak to somebody who used to work with them to get an idea of what your boss is like as an individual. And also, of course, if your boss is new to the company, then somebody who left six months ago before your potential new boss started may well have experienced something that your boss was actually brought in to change. So just be aware of all those issues. But you absolutely want to understand why people left the company if you possibly can. And then the final thing I was advocating doing, check out for any public records around investment, profit reports, announcements, anything like that. Have they cut entire lines of the business? Did you agree with that? How would that have affected you? Does this look like a company that has its head screwed on right? Is making good decisions, making poor decisions? Poor decision making isn't necessarily a dead end for you, but poor decision making is often symptomatic of a toxic workplace because the result of poor decisions is more often than not sadly transmitted downwards, especially when it's a recurring pattern because poor decision making is often poor leadership, which means ultimately that is transmitted downwards. Great leadership. there are going to be the odd bad decision, do not get me wrong, right? You know, sometimes we have to take punts as leaders. That's Okay but a repeated pattern is a symptom of poor leadership. Now, this is all very time consuming and you may well be listening to this thinking, I do not have time to do all that. But I want you to remember, this is the thing you're going to be spending the vast majority of your days doing for the next one year, two years, maybe even five years. So stop underselling yourself, vote for yourself, value your own opinions, go and do your due diligence because otherwise you may well end up somewhere that you really regret because you didn't think it was worth spending the time making sure that what you were going into was something you were going to enjoy. It's not time to stop on the hard work yet. You've got a little bit further to go. Okay. The third and fourth way I see people understand themselves at the offer stage are both to do with the offer itself. You may have been thinking, I thought we were talking about the offer. Yes, we are. <laughs> The offer stage, but these two go hand in hand with the actual offer. The third is the obvious one, accepting a lowball offer. And this is sadly far, far too common, even today in the hot market we have right now. And having coached literally hundreds of women, I think companies think they can get away with lowballing women even today. Whether that's conscious or not, there's a debate to be had, not on this episode. But let's put a stop to it right here and right now. In fact, this is one of the ones where I want you to lean into the fact that this isn't just about you undervaluing yourself, underselling yourself. This is about you either helping women like you or enabling us all being undervalued. I know that sounds really harsh, me putting that on you like that. And not everybody has what it takes to step up and be an advocate for women. And I totally respect if you are one of those people. But what I would say If you heard that and you thought, you know what, I can do this for other women, I want you to lean into that. I want you to lean into that, to do that for other women, because sometimes it's easier to do it for other people than it is for ourselves. And then once you realize you can do it for others, then you realize you can do it for yourself too. So do your homework. You deserve that much. Check out reputable websites for realistic tech salaries. Glassdoor is still one of the favorites out there, but in my experience, it's not so great for technology leadership roles. So I would also recommend trying payscale.com. There's an individual option. I will put the link to that in the show notes. And levels.fyi, again, I'll put that in the show notes. Those are two great ones for tech companies, certainly in the US. Um, Glassdoor is pretty global, but in my experience, technology jobs, it seems to get them a little bit wrong. So um, do your homework, but remember that they aren't the be all and end all, because here's the thing that I know really makes a difference. Ask people in your industry what they would expect to pay someone for the level you are going for. Literally send them a message, somebody you know, and say, what would you expect to pay a whatever? Ask a minimum of three people. If you ask this, it's a lot easier than saying, what's your salary? Ideally, go for somebody who would hire somebody at the job you want to go into rather than a peer. So if you're going to go for a VP of engineering, you want to be speaking to CEOs, you want to ask CEOs that or SVPs that, go and ask them, what would you typically expect to be paying a VP of engineering right now? Ask that question. Ask a minimum of three people. I actually recently asked my network precisely this for a principal engineer job and received an answer 40k higher than what was being reported in Glassdoor. And my client then was able to negotiate a salary 50k higher than what they were planning to ask for. Win around, right? Just by asking that question of a few people as to what they would expect to pay. Once you've got all that data, it's a lot easier to get out of your own head about what you may or may not be worth and negotiate accordingly because you have data, you have numbers, you know what you should be worth. And then, you know, you might have to have a conversation with yourself about whether or not you're up to this job. You've then got to trust that you've interviewed well. So if you're being given an offer, You have to trust that they've done their due diligence on you and they know that you're up to the job. Lean into that and then lean into the fact, okay, if they know I'm up to this job, I know I should be worth this because all of this data tells me that. Accepting the lowball offer because you haven't checked what's possible will set you up for failure from the outset of your role. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I discussed the high cost of failing to negotiate as a leader in episode 44 of this podcast, link in the show notes, make sure you go and check that one out because it really, because it really lives with us for a long time afterwards. It's a big problem not negotiating at the offer stage and everything after that sets us up for big problems down the line. So you need to negotiate. The fourth and final understanding mistake that I see around the offer is not taking the time to fully understand your offer and any requirements or contingencies that that includes. Now, it's fairly standard to have a probation period, in fact, even internationally, but other requirements to do with performance vary massively between countries and regions. So make sure you understand what your region does. Don't just go and put the question out there on the internet because some advice for somebody in California will be very different from some advice for somebody in Germany. In fact, California and Texas may well have very different acceptances as to what's legally possible or not. Make sure you do your homework. Make sure you understand what's possible for your region. If in doubt, make sure you consult an employment lawyer if there is any performance-related requirements in the contract because I think there are companies out there putting stuff into contracts that aren't actually allowed. So do your due diligence on this one. Believe me, it is worth it. Equally, if you've been promised something such as coaching, of course I'd say that, equity or after a certain amount of time, get that written into the contract. That's one mistake I made. I had verbal agreement on equity, but never got it written into the contract. Guess what? I never got equity in that company. Depending on what the dollar amount is for your salary, your starting salary in the company, you may want it to put in the contract a timeline for a salary review, particularly if you're going into a small startup. And one of the reasons that they've negotiated hard is they don't have the funding right now to give you a more competitive salary. So make sure something is put in the contract to do a salary review or a salary bump. And yes, that is part of your negotiation. Maybe you know you want to hire an assistant. That needs to be in there as well, maybe as an addendum to the contract. I've actually had clients who had addendums that indicated how many conferences they would be able to attend per year, a budget for professional development, options for specific hardware from laptops to home office equipment if you've been offered something verbally, get it in the contract on an addendum to the contract. So there you have it. Those are the four areas I see people most underselling themselves, undervaluing themselves to run the offer stage. Number one, taking a job we don't actually want. Number two, failing to do due diligence on the company. Number three, accepting a low ball offer. And number four, not understanding or doing the due diligence on the contract requirements. But let's finish up with a leadership mindset moment. I don't know why I need to sing that. I just did today. (laughs) In case you're new around here, a leadership mindset moment is an actionable tip to help you adjust how you act or think to make it easier to up-level so you can take more positive action on the topic of today's podcast. Today, I want to talk about not taking action because you are exhausted. It's legit, and I get it. If you're exhausted and it feels like you're either approaching or in burnout, We often want the fastest route out, so that manifests as taking the offer that we don't really want, not doing our due diligence, not checking the contract, accepting that low-ball offer because it's the fastest route out. It also manifests as just ditching the entire job hunt process and staying with the status quo. But as you probably know if you've been around here long enough, burnout is actually caused by stress, not by working crazy hours, stepping out of your comfort zone or the interviews themselves. Yes, interviews are stressful, so yes, they can cause burnout, but it's the stress, not the long hours. Get that front and center in your brain, right? Because then ask yourself this, what happens if you take an offer where you don't thrive or you know you are being underpaid? Guess what happens? Stress. I've had people come to me purely because they have low pay burnout. They know they are being underpaid and it's eating away at them because they feel taken advantage of. So before you say yes to something because you are tired and exhausted, ask yourself this, will things genuinely improve or is this just a sticking plaster? If it's a sticking plaster, that doesn't mean you can't say yes, right? I'm always here to support you in whatever decision you know you need to make. But recognize what you're doing isn't going to fix the situation around burnout. It is just a sticking plaster. It will maybe get you through in a couple more months, maybe six months, maybe even a year, but you're going to be back here. So what do you actually want to do? Weigh up what you really want. Ask yourself, is it worth pushing a little bit further, doing a little bit more of the marathon so I can do my due diligence, so I can negotiate for myself, so I can make sure I understand my offer? Make sure that you decide consciously whether or not you're going to just put in that little bit more effort to get to where you actually know you're worth being or whether you just do not have what it takes and you need to get out of this situation immediately. But of course, appreciate that you're storing this up for the future because it's going to come back to you. Go into it with that knowledge rather than I'm just nearly there, I'm just nearly over the line, so I'll just do the bare minimum. When we do it from that place, it's a scarcity mindset and you're not going into it with all of the thoughts and clarity that you deserve to be given to yourself. You are under selling yourself to yourself. That's it for today's episode. If you love this, make sure you subscribe and leave a review over on iTunes. The more people we have that leave a review, the bigger our audience becomes and the more lives of women in tech that we can change. But until next time, remember, stay on your tech leisure game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.